It's Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 347. Watch the SBC live stream like it was the presidential election. My name is Caleb Haig. And as normal, without anything special to say, I'm Rob Vanhoff. All right. Drinking water. Check testing. Uh, they say no sound. They say no sound. Okay, we got we got sound. There we go. Sweet. Hang on. Okay, let's let everybody catch up here. I'm fairly confident that uh, their sound is going to come back in. Um. Okay. So we have uh, a lot going on and a lot to talk about. And uh, give me just a second. Let's see if the uh, chat room catches back up. Uh, tell me when it catches up. Catches up. All right. Um, okay, good. Chat room says we're back. Okay. With all of the all of the uh, nonsense going on, let's jump right in. We got a lot to talk about in terms of, well, there's multiple things that we can talk about. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to say, um, Rob hasn't heard this one. So this is kind of like, and I and I've heard this from multiple people now. This is kind of like Mikha, like the, like the holy language, but I think it's so subtle that a lot of people don't realize it's going on. Okay, this is what Lee says. I have always been against sacred name theology as well as the holy tongue doctrine, as any other sound person would be. I have all <laughs> true. I have always said Hebrew is not necessarily better, and Jewish customs do not make you more holy. And I think all other sound Torah observant Christians uh, leaders would agree. However, as we all profess this to be true, why do we stand in front of our congregations each week as an example of Jesus flock as we read from the apostolic scriptures and feel the need to take our Greek scriptures translated into English and provide Hebrew words? Holy Spirit is read as Ruach HaKodesh. Christ must be read as Mashiach. God must be read as Elohim, Adonai, or Hashem. Lord, help us. If anyone, if someone says John the Baptist, all hell might break loose. <laughs> Apparently, the apostles didn't have a problem with writing Theos or Kurios, but we know better. Any, anyone that knows me knows I love Hebrew, and I preach directly from the Hebrew text from time to time. 
When I come to yod heh vav I pronounce the circumlocution provided. But if the apostles didn't find it necessary to provide the Hebrew in their writings, why should I? We say Hebrew is not better than Greek, but we teach others that it is with our sermons without directly saying it. Thoughts. Okay. Yeah. I actually, um, I've noticed this. So I have a, an issue with this when I go to, so what, a couple, a month ago, I went to the um, Central Washington Messianic Fel- uh, uh, Conference. I gave two lectures on on Colossians. And it's interesting because at the uh, church that I co-pastor, I interchange Jesus and Yeshua, and I interchange Christ and Messiah. I interchange ecclesia and church. And um, actually, I think my speech is becoming more mainstream uh, English Christian, if you will. I, 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 in my right, and part of this is because of my writings in, in, uh, the commentaries that I'm writing, I use Jesus, I use Christ, I use church. Um, and so because of that, I think my, my speech, when I, when I talk and when I, when I preach is actually becoming more that way. But I noticed this, I don't know, a little while ago when people got started to get really upset about, um, Christians using the term Jesus instead of Yeshua or Mashiach instead of, or Messiah instead of Christ. And um, yeah, and then actually the reverse happened as well. Someone, I went to a church, this is maybe two, two and a half years ago. I went to a church and somebody who was, uh, who worked at a seminary asked me, uh, you know, was asking me about some of the things that I did. And I, I said, well, I, um, I brought up that I run a website called Growing a Messiah. And they said, that's interesting. Why'd you use the Old Testament term? I had never associated Messiah with Old Testament and Christ with New Testament. However, this brother in the Lord did. Mm-hmm. And that was on the other end of this. That was on the mainstream Christian end of the spectrum. So I think that we we see both of this. I think there's a little bit of this in, in the mainstream Christian realm. And, and especially those who are now pushing against Torah observance and or, um, you know, yeah, Hebrew root, Messianic, all that kind of stuff. People are pushing against that. Oftentimes, they're going to push against words like Yeshua and Messiah, and want to use words like Jesus and Christ. So, so here's my question to you, Rob: Do you think that it's more of a sacred name in terms of Hebrew is better, or do you think it's a I'm trying to stay in my category? I'm trying to stay in my like I'm trying to define myself. Do you think that the words that we use are defining us, or do you think that they are trying to say that Hebrew is better? Cool. Good question. And <laughs> yeah, I, I really like uh, Lee. He, he's a good writer, but I mean, I like how he put all those thoughts together and, and, and set it out. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think I, I, the way I look at it, I agree with Lee's, you know, basic point and how, how I view it is that it's, it's part of the package, right? I mean, we, it's part of our large vocabulary and it's, it's good to say Jesus. It's good to say Yeshua. In my opinion, it's good to say Messiah. It's good to say Christ. These are all, I mean, that I think it's in John, right? It, John says, uses the word Messiah or Christ and then says, or, or use, we have found the Messiah. That is 
the Christ, the the one that which interpret is interpreted Christ. So, or and there's other examples like that. Here, here's an example that just occurred to me: is Peter. Peter's called Kepha, he's called Simon, he's called Peter, and even in Galatians, Paul Paul will refer to Peter as Peter, and then in another sentence, he'll refer to him as Kepha, and it's the same person. Right. So, so I think that it's good for us to recognize the multi-language, the rich multi-language history as part of our curriculum. It's part of our learning. And we should be, we should uh, be comfortable enough to where we're not saying, Oh, why'd you use the old Testament term? That person has categories in his mind that could, he could soften up on those a little bit and and go, okay, Messiah actually occurs in the new Testament, right? We have found the Messiah the one about whom Moses and the prophets wrote. So, so certainly that category, I would, I would encourage him to rethink, uh, you know, the guy who's saying that's an old Testament category. Sure. But, but in our, in our culture today, in the cancel culture that we are here in America, at least at words are shift. They're, they're like, there are words that you can't say anymore. And then words that they're trying to force you to say. Right. And it's, so this language policing is bigger than just, this kind of thing. And back in the day, I would think that the basic Hebrew roots idea is that, oh, we're going to like, we're, we're learning a little bit of Hebrew, right? So, and we, we, so instead of saying, you know, Solomon, we're going to say Shlomo, right? We're going to learn, oh, and, and there's, there's an element of language learning. When you take first year Hebrew, you're not reading the text and you don't go Bozus, you know, you say Moshe, right? You don't say um, Solomon. You say Shlomo because you're reading text, and and you're going, oh, this is, I'm interacting with with the text here, and I think it's good for teachers of the Bible to to bring the bring those who are listening into that world, into it. It opens up our mind, and I think God did that on purpose. It's good. I think God loves multiple languages. I, I agree with with Lee's point that he, God didn't give the Torah in Hebrew because Hebrew is a holy language. Paul, if you look at the look at the things in the apostolic writings that are called holy, of course, the Spirit, right? Jerusalem, the holy city, it's called the holy city. Uh, Paul says the law is holy and the commandment is holy. Peter writes, but says the holy commandment. Uh, you've uh, so there's there's things like this, but never holy language. You don't you don't get the idea of a holy language in the Bible. That's a later. That's an external thing. And so, um, so there's so while a- we while we while let me let me try to put this while we are setting out all these things on the table that are good for us <laughs> to talk about. We have there's pitfalls. There's the edge of the table and it right. falls off, and that's where someone oh you can only say this, and those right. other ones are off limits. Now all of a sudden it's like. Why? Why are you creating this rule now? God's not going to hear my prayer if I say God, or if I say uh, yeah, ridiculous, Adonai or something. Yeah. So, and the, but sadly, there's there's groups. I think they're more fringe. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Um, but that that have this kind of, uh, and that's what I would call like legalism. Like they're they're making a man made, they're insisting on some sort of rule. 
and then saying your relationship to God is contingent upon you adopting this rule or God hearing your prayers. And I've encountered that a few times, but like I said, I think it's more on the fringianity thing. Um, those are I, back to your question about growing in Messiah. I think it's great. The very fact that that guy had to ask a question. Sure. I think is awesome because it, it allowed you to go, Oh, and then actually I told him the truth. And the truth was, he said, why did you choose growing in Messiah? I said, because growing in Christ was taken. Oh. <laughs> and that is the truth. But I actually like the way that growing in Messiah flows better. Lois says a I couple. Like, I love it. And yeah. I like it says Jim. I, yeah, I exactly. Like it. <laughs> I uh, like Lois that. says a couple interesting things. <clears throat> Pardon me. She says, we can't help people's hermeneutic if we don't help them realize how far removed we are from the text. These, usage, uh, these usages help open up perspective. There is also the connection between language and culture. How many Christians say uh, say they want to have a biblical culture? I would push against this just a little bit, and the reason why is because I think that within the biblical culture, Hebrew is not the—I mean, yes, Hebrew is connected to the Canaanites and, and ultimately to the people of God. But by the time you come into the first century, Greek is the lingua franca, even of the but Jews. Here, but on the other side of that, I, what I hear Lois saying is something like this, that— in in our in the church, people can think Christ is like his last name. That's true. And so by using Messiah, you're you're helping dislodge that that false crystallization there. Sure. And they and they can be a little more fluid with it as they kind of go, oh, that's biblical culture. So all, all I'm saying is that I think that there is a there is a um aspect of Greek culture and Roman culture that I think was actually that had uh, heavily affected the believing communities that is both Jewish and let's just use the word Christian uh, in the first century that he did it. Oh, he did I know. It. I know um, that I don't, I, that I think a lot of people who are in the Torah movement either don't know, don't realize, or they discount. In other words, they want everything to be a, and I'm not saying this about Lois, please don't hear me say this about Lois. Um, but, what I'm saying is is that I think that a lot of people want um, a modern Orthodox Jewish culture that they see, you know, the black hat with the payout and the you know and the, zeet, the real long seat seat and all this kind of stuff, you know, and wearing a tallit in in the synagogue. This is kind of how they want to picture Yeshua and uh, his disciples, and I don't think that this is. And interestingly, and uh, you know, the the show, the chosen. One of the big problems that I have with it, there's two main problems that I have with it, <clears throat> and they're minor problems. I still watch The Chosen, and I still like it. I know a lot of people have pushed against that, but whatever. I haven't watched it. So that's fine. The, that's um, the One of the big problems that I have, the first, the first issue that I have with that is that they took American-speaking, uh, American-English speakers, and they tried to give them uh, Middle Eastern accents, and no one does it right, and so it sounds awful, and it sounds like they're trying to make really, yeah, it, it sounds like they're trying to do fake accents, and that's exactly what they're doing. So that's the number one complaint. <laughs> Why can't somebody just have people speak their normal language anyway? But the second one is, is that you know you, you got the Pharisees wearing tallits, and you got you know it's like these Jewish customs. They're they're saying these rabbinical prayers that obviously didn't come around until the tenth century or, or later, and it's like. You know, you can tell that they're they're uh, they're asking questions of 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 modern Judaism to reflect back into first century Judaism. But I think, oh, in other words, some of the parody, some of it actually is a parody, unknowingly, exactly of the, of the messianic move of problems with the messianic. Yes, movement. exactly. And the funny thing is, is that I 
maybe it's not funny. I the, the, bringing this all back around. I think that this is actually the reason that I think that this. I can't fault these people too much for that. People, but but they. Yeah, what is it? What is it? We okay. Learning Hebrew is good. Learning Greek, learning the language of the Bible, the languages of the Bible is good and important. Is it something that everybody should at least investigate if you're a believer? I think so. At some level, okay, you should but- be curious. You should be curious about it. It doesn't mean you have to take a whole year of Hebrew or a whole year of Greek, but be curious and open because the I, very I- fact that the the, the gospels give us words in multiple languages and explain them means that's part of our curriculum. Part of our curriculum is, is more than one language and, and being able to understand multi-language culture. I I think that's built into it. The whole acts uh, two is this idea of people in their own language, hearing the wonders of God. So that's what I mean. God loves multilingual situations, but God also loves the truth and the truth has been captured for us and sure. preserved for okay, us okay. in the scripture. I, I agree with you, but here's the thing. Look, I've I'm the first to say, look at our videos from three, three, four years ago. I wore a keepa. I was, you know, I like that there is, and not that I thought the keepas went all the way back to the first century, but when, you know, growing up in the Torah movement, I just assumed that certain, you know, Jew, Judaisms went back to, or maybe they didn't go all the way back to the first century, but, you know, there was a cultural aspect that I thought, yeah, this is Judaism. Not realizing how how late all this stuff was. And so I, I think that naturally, a lot of people coming to the Torah movement, what they equate with Torah is actually Judaism. And and so I, when when it comes to things right. when it comes to things like the chosen, I can't fault really the the writers of the chosen because what they've done is they've gotten Christian and they've gotten Jewish people to 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 try to come in and, and advise them of of what would have been going on. The Jews are just saying, yeah, this all goes back to the first century for sure. And the people, you know, the the people who are writing the chosen aren't historians; they're filmmakers, and that's actually that is actually why the chosen is so good in terms of a film because it's not a they're not historians, they're not scholars who have said let's make a movie; they're filmmakers who said, well, it's like Mel Gibson in the 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 Passion of the Christ, right? It's a painting, and I mean, he's got every tool at his disposal; he's made countless probably award-winning films. and But you don't watch it and think, oh, this is scripture. It, it, it's a it's like someone's interpreting it and painting a picture of the scripture. That's how I view it. Yep. Anyway, okay. Um, let's move on. Uh, before we move on, let's just say this. Uh, you can give us a call, 253-465-3205. Where is my sound clip? I need this uh, at, on a better button because I don't, I, you know what? I don't even have it queued up. Oh, shame, shame, shame. I will get it queued up for our next one. I apologize, everyone. I apologize. Um, yes. Anyway, that's our phone number. You can, <laughs> my apologize. I apologize, everyone. Seahagatorresource.com. And I learned that uh, I've been saying it wrong. Mia Culpa. Mia culpa. There's an L in it, apparently, and I apologize. This shows my utter lack of understanding of, of language. Um, but I will tell you this. It also shows that uh, people who listen to this show will not let you get away with anything. Uh, 
There was I someone. Never caught, I never. Even, I don't remember you even saying that. There was someone ticked off. Ability. There was someone ticked off in the uh, in the in the comment section that I that I wasn't putting the L in culpa. What? Sorry. Anyway, chagatorresource.com is our email address. Also go to torresource.com to find all sorts of great stuff. You can listen to past shows uh, in our archives on messiahmatters.com. And of course, if you want to help this show and you don't want to become a supporter or a, uh, a producer, you can just press the subscribe button if you're not subscribed. Or if you are subscribed, press the like button. It actually helps. I know it doesn't seem like it does, but it does. So do that for us. Okay. Um, let's move on. Do you want to talk? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about this. Okay. Um, for some reason, all of my, my screens are all screwed up here, but that's okay. Let's, um, okay, here we go. I want to move to Chabad. <laughs> so Rob brought this up to me and then I decided to, I read the you, article. Did you go he, down that rabbit trail a little bit? I did. And here's the thing is that this to me once again shows the, how, um, <sighs> this shows to me how the Christian church and Orthodox Judaism are so in sync, in sync, sorry, in sync. And I say that because listen to this. So, so Rob sends me this thing. It's called, it's the first article I read is what to expect at the OHEL. Now the OHEL, uh, is referring to the graveside of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I didn't put links in the YouTube description because I didn't want to give them more links. Every time you link to something, I I didn't want, I didn't want people to link to it anyway. Um, so this first one is, uh, so this is the gravesite of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Menachem Schneerson. Okay. Now we've talked a lot about, uh, about, uh, Hasidic Judaism and what the Zadik is and how it is pagan and how they basically just took, uh, the theology within the apostolic scriptures of Yeshua as an intercessory, like an intermediary for us, and they just put it on different humans. That's basically what's going on. Um, so let's read just a little bit of this for you. It says, The Ohel is the resting place of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson of righteous memory, and his father-in-law, the sixth Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson of Righteous Memory, located in the old Montefiore Cemetery in Queens, New York. The open-roofed mausoleum is a place where people go and pray to God, request blessings, and connect with the deep spiritual energy of the Rebbe. Now, this right here should set any believer on edge. (laughs) I I, I joked to Caleb. I said, Chabad is like Amazon.com for Judaism. Yep. Like... They are so well branded. You'd almost think if you were a total stranger, you'd think that they are Judaism. Yeah. Oh, right. Absolutely. I mean, they are like all over the world. It don't matter what country you go in, there'll be probably a Chabad house. Um, but the reason this was even on my radar is because it was the anniversary of his death, like 27 years or whatever. And they, to them, that's a special event for praying because they say you pray at his grave you can in any language you can write a note and put it in any language right any language doesn't matter he transcends and that <laughs> he does, then they have he to, transcends all language you can say yeah. you can say christ or messiah <laughs> and he'll get it <laughs> so but here's the thing is that 
they have to clarify on their website that you're not you're you're asking him to intercede for you you're not asking you're not actually praying to him i'm just and and so this is the catholic kind of thing is that what you're getting at with the with yeah the so 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 okay well let's let's go back to the article real quick i'll tell you what i mean by catholic um, so basically they say, you know, his yard site's coming up. That means the, the anniversary of his death. And so all these people are flocking uh, to, to... To Queens. To Queens, yeah. As <laughs> to a holy place. <laughs> the pilgrimage of Queens uh, to visit the, the, the rabbi's uh, uh, resting place. Now, why? Would, you might ask, why would they do such a thing? Well, because people want to go to his grave and pray. Now, why would you want to go to a graveside and pray. And now I'm going to say that this is not just uh, this is not just specific to, to Hasidic Judaism. I hear all the time, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll hear Christians say things like your father is watching now or, you know, you know, your father can see you and I'm sure he's proud. But so you're telling me my loved ones are now omniscient and can see all things. No, of course not. The I, I mean, this comes. They're eating popcorn, watching yeah. what's going on. Yeah, exactly. good job, Caleb. Right yeah, exactly. On. I mean, All of your secrets. You are... Yeah, I, I'm rooting for him. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's like a, a I don't know. Anyway, so uh, this is what they say: visiting the re- resting place of a tzaddik, a righteous person, is an ancient Jewish custom, as is Jewish magic. Anyway, um, several reasons are given for the custom. Okay. Here we go. They don't quote the Bible. Though. No, 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 no. Never would they quote the Bible. <laughs> However, the other one try, uh, touches on the Bible and how it's a sin to talk to the dead. Anyway, okay, so they say, number one, at any gravesite, you become more aware of your limited time on earth. Your heart is more open to prayer to God, and so your prayers are accepted on high. Okay, that's definitely not true. You're, just because you're aware that your time is limited on earth does not mean that God hears you more or less. And nor does going to a grave site. Exactly. What does that have to do with? Anyway, uh, the number two, the burial. If place. that was true, if that was true, why did why was corpse defilement the, the <laughs> biggest threat to the holy presence of God in the tabernacle? No doubt, according to the Torah, you're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to do that. Okay. Um, number two, the burial place of the tzaddik, the holy one, the holy person, is a is a holy place. Just like the Western Wall in Jerusalem. It's like a portal to heaven. Okay, so if we don't, like, first of all, as believers, if you don't see this as utter heresy. Queens, like, New York. <laughs> you, don't, you, know, don't, you don't have to go to Israel now. That's right. You got, a, you got a direct line right there in Queens. So anyway, if you're a believer and, and you hear this stuff and, and uh, you don't have alarm bells just going off all over the place, uh, then you need to check your theology. Something is desperately wrong. Okay, let's but keep there going. Was, there, we had talked about those who were the grave soakers or whatever right. in, in some of the Christian circles. Okay, hang on. Let's keep going. A Zadik's presence can be felt at his gravesite just as it was felt during his lifetime. This itself can inspire you and carry you to an entirely different state. And number four, at the resting place, it is easier to connect to the Zadik's soul above and to request his blessings his blessings, just as you would before his passing. Okay, so now now hang on. I know what everyone's going to say. Well, this is clearly idolatry. However, Chabad.com, the same people who basically wrote that article, 
they've given explanation on how this can be allowed. Okay. Let's move over to a Chabad.org uh, uh, article. And this is what they say. Okay. We see the Jewish people asked. Oh, wait, hang on. Let me go up a little bit. Yes, Jewish custom can be perplexing. Judaism is all about having a direct connection to God. An intermediary is a form of idolatry. Okay? Yet, for as long as there are records, Jews have been in the habit of asking righteous men and women to have a chat with God on their behalf. So, in other words, it's idolatry, but since there's a good tradition, we'll let it go. Okay. So then down a little ways, they say, uh, so, uh, and any Jew who knows that another Jew is, is ill should pray for him, but you need to go to that wise man as well. Okay, and it, they, they, try to, they try to give you something from the Talmud. Anyway, the same with visiting graves. On the one hand, as you pointed out, the Torah tells us not to, to beseech the dead. Okay, so they, this is the, men, the one mention of the Torah that they give. Yeah, we're not allowed to beseech the dead, okay? It's listed along with all the other abominations practiced by people that lived in Canaan before we came there. And yet, we have an ancient and popular custom to visit the graves of righteous people and pray there. So, once again, yes, it's an abomination, but we got a we got a tradition. So, you know, that must supersede Okay, let's keep going. The Talmud also states that it is customary to visit cemetery on a first uh, on a fast day. Why? Uh, okay, so why is this not called beseeching the dead? And why doesn't asking the tzaddik living or dead to intercede on our behalf constitute making an intermediary between ourselves and God? This very question was raised. Basically, what they say is, yeah, uh, we're not praying to we're not praying to the to the person. We're asking that person to go to God, and and, you know, basically give them a request. Basically, they talk in circles. That's basically all there is to it. So why does this remind me of Catholicism? All of this to say. Because when you talk about, uh, you know, your saints, praying to the saints, and what, what do the Catholics say? Oh, you don't pray to the saints. That's not what you do. Or, or when you say a Hail Mary, right? Oh, well, you're not actually praying to Mary. But she's much holier, and so what you do is you give your you give your your prayer, and then Mary takes that to God because she's closer to God than you are. Well, so is Mary omniscient? Is Mary omnipresent? Can d- does she hear everyone's prayer? So the problem with the, with this kind of of uh, thinking is that no matter which way you slice it, ultimately it comes down to idolatry. You're praying to a person. You're praying to someone who's not God. This is the and and ultimately, this is exactly why uh, this is another reason that we can say that Yeshua Jesus is God because through the Holy Spirit, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ hears our prayers. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. And, and, and it's no way a function of where you are in the world. It's no way a function of space. Exactly. Okay, you, need to, you need to scoot your chair three, set, three inches to the right, yeah. and you'll be closer to God. If you go into a church, God hears your prayers more. If you go to a graveside, God hears your prayers more. No, no, no. Because of the Holy Spirit, God hears our prayers any, anywhere because we are children this, of God. The other bit is writing the prayer and tucking it into a wall. Right. or a, And that happens at the Western Wall. People write 
little things. And you could see between the, the stones, there's all these little crammed. It's like, wait a minute, you just crushed my prayer with your prayer. Oh, I, <laughs> but that's I think what they do. There's, at, a, at, there, there's a guy at the Western Wall. I lived there for, I lived in the old city for two months. There's a guy, all, all he does is come with a broom and broom it all out and then sweep all those up. That's all he does. <laughs> like, why am I? Okay. Anyway, keep going. But the idea is, what do I have to, what, what is the conscience of the person who is superstitious to actually do this act? Like what they're thinking, like if we were to try to imagine their thought process, like, okay, I'm having a tough go at life right now. Let's say, you know, there's things that, you know, someone I love is, is, you know, sick, very sick, or, or I, I need a job or my own health, or, you know, I have dreams of whatever. And I, and things are going bad. So it's like, okay, oh, I think I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a piece of paper and write out my prayer request. And I'm going to roll it up. Okay. What do I do with it now? Okay. I got to send it to someone <laughs> Yeah. or, okay. Oh, I know there's this holy place where there's that, that T, you know, that rabbi's buried and people go there. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to tuck it there. And then I'm going to leave thinking, yeah, right. Like that, that whole worldview needs to be just destroyed, mm-hmm. right? That 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 has nothing to do with a relationship with the living God. It comes back to to magic and ne- necromancy. That's all it does. And folk like folk superstition kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, even even the idea of visiting graves. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand, right? My my brother died. I've been to his grave several times, but I've never gone there and thought, hmm, my brother, he can hear me now. Like I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my brother in this place. No, no, no. That's, that's not going on. If anything, I'll talk to the Lord about whatever it may be. The choices my brother made, the choices that I'm making, you know, how, how that should inform me. But I'm not talking to my brother. My brother's gone. He's not in this world. Okay, let's. Uh, it's it's a good conversation. All of this to say that uh, don't be duped by Christian or by Jewish tradition. You know, the Bible is the is the foundation. The idea that we can uh, somehow that we have a direct line to people uh, on the other side that's called necromancy. Whether you say it's saints, whether or not you call it rebbies, no matter what, that's necromancy, and it's an abomination. It is. Uh, this back. This actually could be tied back, in one one uh, respect, to Lee's uh, uh, note that we read. Are we calling holy what God calls holy, or are we finding new things and calling them holy? Right. Like one thing Lee brought up is this idea of holy language, right? Oh, the holy language. Now all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. Does the Bible call something holy language? No. But now I'm going to start teaching about this holy language. I think there's like a holy language institute, you know, stuff like this, and it's it's strange. Uh, I think it's called something like that. But it's same thing with the with a grave, the grave of the of the seventh uh, Lubitscher Revy who's dead and gone, and and there is no, you know, and now they're they're trying to create a cult of a saint. They they created a cult. They've bro. created a, a cult of of a of a quote holy man, right? 
and they try to revive it and they, and, and they're pouring all their money into marketing. And, and uh, that's what I mean. They're like amazon.com of, of Judaism. Uh, but also then the, the Wailing Wall, right? The Kotel, it is, it is, people say this is a sacred place. You know, you, you have to cover your head. You have to, they're supposed to wash your hands, you know, before you approach, you separate men from women at the, at the wall, the Western wall. And it's like, what is going on here? That's that, that kind of thing was what the Sorig was keeping Gentiles. What Herod did with when Herod revamped the temple Mount, he created a wall where if you're at where he's, uh, separating people from different nations, you can't approach. And the same thing they were doing that with the, uh, the money t- changing tables. They were like gatekeepers and taking advantage of people's, uh, you know, superstition or, you know, their desire to approach the God of Israel on the temple Mount. And it's the same problem. Right. And that's why Yeshua knocked those over. He says, you've, you've, you've taken my father's house. You've made it a den of thieves and so I could say, den of thieves, you know, when people are like the Jews that say, go and send us your, your request and we'll pray for you or we'll give it to, you know, it's just like den of thieves. Okay. We got it. We got to keep moving here or else we're never okay. going to get to our main topic. But I, I should say, check your inbox. If you're not subscribed to Torah Resource uh, email, then uh, you should, I mean, you should be. I don't know why you're not, but if, <laughs> come on, man. Come on. But uh, if you're not, then uh, Rob's new uh, series, Themes in Galatians, has just dropped today. You can find it on TorahResource.com. Three recorded lectures. Recorded live. Recorded live in Ontario. With our friends. Yeah. And uh, in- anyway, so uh, it's actually, it was, it, it, I, I really enjoyed editing it. It was good. It's a, it's a, great, a great series. Uh, Rob goes through, uh, he goes through Galatians and, and pulls out different themes that uh, inform the book. I, I thought it was fantastic. Anyway, go check it Thanks, out, torresource.com. All right, let's go to our main topic today. And before we do, don't forget to subscribe, boom, and click the like button. Thank you, everyone who's clicked the like button. I see you. I see you. Okay. Um, let's go to my notes, y'all, and see what we have. Brandon writes in. Now, he is not the first person to write in on this topic, but he's the most recent. We've uh, I've avoided... I. I have avoided this topic because it's kind of a, a big topic. Um, but let's just read his question and then we'll go to it. My question is, what is a sin that is not unto death and what is one that is unto death? Why can one not pray for one that has sinned this sin unto death? Uh, the, the passage that is being referenced is First John 5, 16 through 17. I'm going to read it out of the ESV. It says, if anyone sees his brother and... Okay. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay. First John 5, 16 through 17. That's out of the ESV. Okay. Um, before we jump into this, I'm going to plug Torah Resource one more time. You can find my father's commentary, uh, a commentary on the Johannine uh, epistles, one, two, and three by Tim Hag. You can find this on TorahResource.com. Anyone who wants to take a, a little bit deeper look at this, 
I highly recommend this book. Not only is he my father, but uh, honestly, uh, Torah Resources is uh, has enjoys some fame in the Torah realm, be, not because of Rob and me, but ultimately because of my father's unbelievable writing. He's pretty good, much only, pretty yeah. much only because of it. Yeah, he's he's a he's a fantastic scholar, and uh, this book is actually uh, reading this shows me once again why uh, my father has done so well uh, in in uh, his his career uh, writing books like this. Uh, it's not I, that I expensive. I can't tell you that the, the time I've spent in his Matthew commentary, right? His Romans commentary and his Hebrews commentary. I haven't spent much time in in this newer in the in the Johannine epistles, but yeah, I mean, if if you haven't if you don't have his Romans and Matthew commentary at least, and Hebrews, and Galatians, but <laughs> just keep going down the list, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so it and there's Ephesians so much and work. James. <laughs> It'll make your make your life easier. Yeah. Make it easy on yourself because he, one of the approaches I really like, and I know this is a, just an extended footnote right now. Often when there's a citation from the Tanakh, uh, Tim will, he'll bring up parallels. He'll have, here's the Septuagint, here's the Masoretic text, here's the Peshitta maybe, you know, and he'll give the columns and, and so he'll address right. that. Is Paul citing the Septuagint here or is he translating from the Hebrew? And at those kind of questions, which are always pertinent, but also on a controversial verse, he'll say, here are the five ways it's been read. He'll tell you who says what, and he'll he'll give you a, a nice summary. And then he'll go, boom, boom, this, this one, this why is, not, yeah. why not, why not? And then he'll, he'll make a case for what his, what, what his conviction is. This means this, and here's how we know. And this is actually, uh, this is, basically what he did with this passage. He shows that there are three main uh, arguments on what this passage means. And the first is one that I think is probably the easiest to reconcile in our minds. However, uh, well, well, and and that is the view that uh, the sin leading to death would be a sin that would incur the death penalty. And according to this argument, it would go that a person who commits this sin, you should not pray that they would not receive the death, death penalty because the Torah requires it. And therefore, if God requires the death penalty of something, you shouldn't pray for them not to get the death penalty of it. In fact, quite the opposite. Even though you might love the person and even though that person might be saved or whatever, you they still deserve the, the punishment for the crime committed. So that's the argument or the first suggestion. My father, I believe, rightly uh, states that this is most likely not the uh, the correct interpretation of the passage because the context doesn't fit this. In fact, um, and another thing that my father does in his commentary is he he lists the he shows that there's 15 times in the in First uh, John that the word brother is used. Uh, 14 of those are used for people who are believers in Christ. One is uh, referring to Cain and Abel, that he killed his brother. Okay, so uh, therefore in this passage, we know that he's talking about uh, those who are in the community. Um, so the second suggestion is that this is someone who has committed the uh, sin against uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. 
My father uh, also rejects this in his commentary because he says that uh, he believes, and I think that he's got a good case for this. I don't know if I'm fully on board with him, but he believes that the uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit can only be done when, when Yeshua was on earth. And he says that because it was the works that Yeshua was doing through the Holy Spirit and the people that, uh, that accused him of doing it of the power of demons. In other words, they could see that Christ was there, uh, the Messiah was with them, and yet they were attributing it to the Holy Spirit, or the, to the, the work of the Holy Spirit to, the, to demons. So that's what he, he says. No, that, that can't be. Okay, so then his, he uh, comes to the third and uh, what he now is going to support in his commentary. And that is the idea that um, this is someone who was in the community and has rejected Yeshua, has rejected Messiah, and denies Messiah as Yeshua. So this is the sin that leads to death. Okay. Now, I should say that this is a four-page, ex- like he, he deals with this over four pages, so I'm going to read one paragraph here. And so, uh, once again, I would just recommend pay the I think it's 22 bucks pay the $22 uh, in total it's uh, 426 pages so you're getting a good deal here all right this is what he says he's this is on page 303 of his commentary he says but is John teaching us in these verses that we should not intercede in prayer for those who have at one time confessed Yeshua to be their Messiah and Savior but who consequently have denied him the answer is no for a couple of reasons first As Westcott has shown, the negative in the phrase of verse 16, as the NASB has it, I do not say that he should make request for for this. So this is is really what we're talking about, right? Because this is the the passage, or this is the phrase, um, let's see here. There is uh, sin that leads to death. And this phrase, I do not say that one should pray for that, for that one or for that person. Okay, that's the phrase in the NASB. And this is really what we're talking about. So um, Westcott, so Westcott argues that the negative here uh, could just as well be understood to mean I'm not talking about that sin that leads to death. And so what how this would read is there is sin that leads to death. I am not talking about that sin that leads to death. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And so what my father argues after this, uh, after showing the Greek here, is that what John is saying is we don't know whether or not a person is going to return. They're going to repent. So if we, if we take the negative the way that Westcott took it, then this would really mean you have no knowledge whether or not this is going to lead to death and because we don't know if they're going to repent or not. And so this all of a sudden changes it from don't pray for that person to pray for the person who leaves the com- community. That's ultimately like it, absolutely reverses the meaning of the text. Rob? This this reminds me of, I, I shared with Caleb this morning right before we started, I've been reading First and Second Samuel, but in, in 1 Samuel 12, uh, Samuel's, you know, basically rebuking Israel for desiring a king like the nations and that it's this great sin. And they're like, yeah, we have sinned. And um, but he says that God's not going to abandon you. So first Samuel 12, 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. So for the sake of God's name, right? Uh, he, he's 
not abandoning his people. Verse 23, for Samuel 12, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord, serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. So it's a beautiful chapter, you know, um, but this idea of Samuel saying it would be a sin for him not to pray for them, even though in the same passage of passage of scripture, it says several times that this was an evil thing and that it was a sin that the people had, had done. Now, what I think we also need to bring into conversation is a situation like in 1 Corinthians 5, where there's someone put out of the community, it says for the destruction of the of the flesh. Paul doesn't say don't pray for that person, right? Because he um, even, he doesn't use the verb pray, I think, in that passage. Exactly. But the idea is that it could be that this person comes to repentance. Right. So, right? so Paul is even open in that situation that the person would would be repentant. And uh, Lee in the, in the chat room says, seems to me it's unrepentant sin. Okay, that that is the point. It is unrepentant sin. However, the point the point in in First John five is not that you're not supposed to pray for that person. It's that we don't know if that person's going to repent or not. That's that's the point. Here, my father goes on, and this is I think this is a good point. He says John's point, therefore, is this: when we pray for someone who is a true believer, even in time when this person denies Yeshua, we will receive our request for his or her return, even as John states in verse fifteen, because those who belong to Yeshua will never be eternally lost. Consider this in regards to, to Peter's denial of Yeshua. Before the denial even took place, Yeshua himself, fully aware that this would happen, states, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that you your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Here we see our Lord interceding for Peter, the outcome of which is Peter's repentance and return to his walk of faith in Yeshua. So I think that I mean that that right there was a slam dunk point for me. I think you know I was I was kind of saying okay I see how my dad sees it, but then as soon as he brought up Peter, it's like okay Yeshua prays for Peter, knowing that he was going to deny him. So uh, this shows that that John can't be saying don't pray for a person who has denied Yeshua. It's that we don't know if that person is going to return or not. That's his point. So we don't know if that sin, if the sin of denying Yeshua at that point is leading to death or not, because they could they could have reconciliation. So we should pray for those people. Of course, um, the way that our translator in the ESV has translated it uh, t- makes it seem as though that's not the case at all. Um, but I think that uh, ultimately it's a translation issue. That's one way it could be taken. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had, uh, one other thought. Okay. Well, it's, it's, we're, uh, we were talking about, what was it like 25 bucks for the epistles and it's 400 pages. That's like six cents a page. Right. So it's not much. So I'm going to, here's another six cents. <laughs> I'm reading, uh, uh, from the bottom of page 304 where Tim gives his paraphrase. He says, here, here's an expanded paraphrase of this passage back to our, our passage of focus here. First uh, John five, 16 and 17. If anyone, and this is 
quote. Now, if anyone sees his brother who has confessed faith in Yeshua, who is currently not walking in ways of righteousness, but is sinning in a way that does not lead to eternal death, he should intercede in prayer to God for his brother, and God will bring him back to his faith and righteous living, which will be proof that he was not sinning unto death. Granted, there can be a circumstance where a person confesses faith in Yeshua, then denies him, and never comes to repentance. This is not to prove that intercessory prayer is powerless, but rather that he was sinning the sin that leads to eternal death. But I'm not talking about that situation, for only God knows the heart, and since not all sin is that which marks a person as an apostate, that is never to be granted repentance, we must intercede in prayer for a confessed believer who is seen to be sinning, because while all unrighteousness is sin, there is sin that does not eventuate in eternal death, but when one in sinning well, sorry, but when the one sinning is granted repentance, that sin can be overcome, and such perseverance in the faith is a mark of every true believer. I really liked that, that uh, what he called a, an expanded paraphrase of that passage. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's ultimately, I think, what my father's getting at as well. Um, yeah. Well, brother, another one in the bag. What should we talk about next week? Hmm. Hmm. We don't know. And that means you should call us and tell us. 253-465-3205. Ding, ding. Uh, we, uh, next oh, wait, week, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Let's hear I, it. I promise that next week I will have our, our music, okay? Well, oh, oh. I may, Maybe you said that earlier. Huh? I did say it earlier. Well, hang on just a second. Let me see if I have it on hand. Uh, phone message song. Let's see here. Let's see if this is the right one. Uh... Uh, I don't want to pre- play the wrong one. Okay, let's let's not let's let's err on the side of caution. <laughs> uh, let's see which one is the most recent. Maybe that's maybe that's what do we should do. You have multiple mixes, or yes, multiple? I do, and that's the problem. Okay, let's try that. Let's try this one and see if this one. Oh nope, that's not. Nope, that's not it. It's not it. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not going to do one it. One thing for next week then on our list is to hear the. Oh the wait. Phone did I, did I, can you hear that? I'm not hearing it. No, anything. you can't. Okay. Well, I can, and it's blaring. <laughs> All right. Next week, everyone, next week. Um, okay. So give us a call on our, on our phone line or just shoot us an email, cheguitorresource.com. Um, and yeah, well, okay. Somebody says, please, please, please play the song. Let's see if I can open it with this. Here you go. Let's see if I can do this. Here you go. Ready? Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. All right. There you go. I have I have obliged. Um, and actually, I don't even think that was the right one. I still don't think that was the right one. That was not the correct mix. Anyway. Um, Sounded great, but. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So give us a call or shoot us an email. Actually, it should be noted that we actually do use all of your comments to try to shape this show. So it is actually important for us that you call us. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Uh, don't leave us hanging. Yeah, don't leave us hanging here. All right, we'll be back back next week, guys. And uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. 
Why? Because Messiah matters. Because Christ counts. That's right. (laughs) 